Hey friends, the holidays are coming up and regardless of which holidays you celebrate, it is likely that you will be spending time with family or friends, which means it's the perfect opportunity to take the concepts we've been talking about out of the realm of theory and into real life practice. I think you'll find that when you apply some of these things, it will help you cope if you're the kind of person who needs holiday coping skills. Um, And they can help enrich your holidays if you're already kind of flying high on holiday spirit. So I'm just going to go through a handful of the concepts we've covered in previous episodes and talk about how you can use them and apply them at a family or social gathering or in other holiday activities. Just to be completely transparent here and so you understand where I'm coming from in my application, you should know that I am super introverted to the point where the pandemic lockdown felt like a gift, not a curse. So a lot of my insights into being in a large group of people um, come from an introverted perspective. If you are extroverted, you might need to adapt these a little to suit your style. Okay, here we go. First off, hone your observation skills. If you listen to the first people watching episode, you know how to observe like a pro. If you haven't listened to that episode yet or recently, um, I'm just going to go over a handful of the basics so you have some tools to take with you. The first thing you want to do when you're observing is narrow down a purpose. Why do you want to observe at this particular event or gathering or activity? The next thing you want to do is decide if you are going to be an onlooker or a participant. And that just means uh, that you are going to be involved or not be involved in the interaction that you are observing. If you're an onlooker, you are only watching the interaction. And if you are a participant observer, you are part of the interaction that you are also observing. It's easy to get in the rut of watching movies or shows to observe as an onlooker, but seriously, holiday gatherings are kind of the perfect time to test your skills as a participant observer. We spent plenty of time people watching in the park or on the subway, Really, really, just dive right in and go for participant observer. Worst case scenario, you tune out at the wrong time and you have to ask someone to repeat themselves. It's not really a big deal. The next thing you want to think about is what will the duration of your observation be? If you're just starting out, then maybe don't try to be an observer for the whole of a four-hour holiday party. Try 15 minutes and then relax and enjoy yourself for a while. Then if you see something interesting and want to pick up another few minutes of observation, go for it. You might also find that you fall into observation naturally. Um, There's a plethora of information available in impromptu observations, and it's okay to just let something catch your eye that may be the initiation of an observation. I highly recommend that if you are going to do this in like a holiday party setting, you stick with casual observations, especially if you're starting out or if you don't normally assume a participant role in observations. No need to bring a full-size notebook, recording device, and six pages of notes. Don't be a weirdo. That's, That's my job. Another thing to consider. We often, or well, 
I often observe to establish a baseline for people's movement, to try to understand what their body language dialect is. Keep in mind that when you're at a party, you are at a party. People will behave differently than when they're at the office working, or if you meet them in a casual social setting, or if you interact with them by themselves, not in the context of a larger gathering of people. Context is really key here. Another thing to consider is that if you're at a holiday party where alcohol is being served and you're observing someone who's had a few drinks, the alcohol has the potential to change the way they move. And if you've had a few drinks, that may change the way you observe. I can't say this for sure because I have literally never been drunk. I had one sip of champagne um, at one of my sister's weddings, and it made me so sick that I have not touched alcohol since. Uh, So I have no idea how much alcohol would change the way I move or even if I'd be cognizant of the shift at all. Um, I have observed other people drinking, but not a lot. I I don't go to bars because I don't drink. Um, And no one in my family has like an overt drinking problem. So this isn't something that I have firsthand knowledge of. I can see the effect on someone of a couple of glasses of wine, but really... um, It's really only part of a situation where there's like super polite social drinking. But we all know that alcohol has the potential to affect how we move and think. um, And it affects people to different degrees and in different ways. So just take that into account as you are observing. This is something, however, that we can use to our advantage because it can be the why, the purpose behind an observation. If you only know George as the accountant in the cubicle next to yours, who you occasionally lunch with, then it might be interesting to compare what you know of George's everyday body language with what happens to George's body language when he's had a couple of drinks. So observing can be super fun, especially to spice up a situation where maybe you aren't obligated to go somewhere, but would really rather be at home in the tub with a book. Um, Well, or maybe that's just me. Two, be curious and think outside the box. Remember that we don't use a standard quote-unquote answer key for body language. We have broader concepts that help us understand what we're looking for, body, effort, shape, and space. And because we use broader categories, we can see things more clearly and interpret them with more flexibility. We can see a range of possibilities rather than drawing a linear conclusion. So if you happen to be presented with, we'll say a textbook gesture, rather than just applying a textbook definition, ask yourself, what else could be going on here? What's behind this gesture or this pose, this posture? Is this something that has always been in this person's movement repertoire or is this something new? What is the gesture's origin? This last question is really fun in a family setting or with close friends. Um, Anytime there's a lot of history in a group, movements and gestures can skip around from one person to the next, like chicken pox. Um, This is is what my sister Karen was talking about um, during her interview when she referenced high context situations. When there is a lot of history, and we'll say insider knowledge between members of a group, you can see situations where the gestures completely take the place of words. And that gesture may look similar to something that has a textbook definition, but whether or not it aligns with the accepted definition, well, that's another story. The only example I have, uh, um, 
Actually, I don't think I can tell this story publicly, but it's a funny story that my sisters and I have shared. And now it has an accompanying hand motion. It's a high context situation. We've said the phrase with hand motion so much that now all one of us has to do is to make the hand motion to get a laugh out of the other. The hand motion kind of resembles the move someone would make to throw a dart at a dartboard. Um, So if you weren't in on the story, which you aren't, and I'm sorry, you might think I was miming throwing a dart, which has nothing to do with what that hand gesture means to my sisters and me. My point is, when you see a gesture or an assumed posture, be curious about it. Don't assume you know what it means. Explore other possibilities. If you're extroverted, you might even ask what it means to the person. If you're introverted, that's obviously out of the question. But you could think on a couple of possibilities. So when you're presented with something that could be a textbook definition of a physical expression of anger or happiness, sadness or fear, dig a little deeper. What else could be going on there? Three, explore your personal space or observe how someone else uses their personal space. A quick space orientation and reminder because it's been an episode or... 10 or 15. Everyone has their own personal space bubble. It varies in size according to your emotional state and physical capabilities. When considering the bubble of personal space, we can break it down into two simple maps. One in layers like a cake going from bottom to top, and another going from inside out, like going from the core to the peel of an apple. Looking at reach spaces, which is the apple map, um, and levels, which is the cake map, um, help orient us in our personal space and get organized when we look at others in their personal space. We have a lot of holiday traditions that involve movement. I celebrate Christmas, so I'm most familiar with the examples evident in the Christmas tradition. So those are the examples I'll give. But if you celebrate a different holiday, see if you can apply these thoughts to different physical activities. And then DM me, please, because I would love to hear about other traditions. Let's think about where we are in space while putting ornaments on a Christmas tree. You might start off by retrieving a box of ornaments from a shelf in the garage or attic, taking your arms out to far reach space, and then pulling the box close to your body in near reach space to carry it to the living room. You'd have to bend down to low level to put the box down safely on the floor, and then repeatedly after that, every time you wanted to retrieve an ornament. If the ornament has lost its hook, then you may pull it to near or mid-reach space at mid-level so you can see to re-hook the loop and then reach out into mid or far-reach space to hang it on the tree. If you're hanging the star on the top of the tree, you may have to reach all the way out to high-level far-reach space. Be observant and mindful and see how much space you traverse during tree trimming or menorah lighting or, well, you tell me what your tradition involves. Four, use kinesthetic empathy to make a connection. When someone inevitably expresses a political opinion that you don't agree with, tune out a little bit from their words and consider their body language. Look at how they hold their body. Look at their display of effort and how they shape their body in space. Take those observations and consider when do you make similar movements in your life? 
you do. We all do. We all have very similar bodies and we get passionate about different things. Can you put the physical expression you have observed in someone else's body into your body and use kinesthetic empathy to understand how the other person is feeling? Let's say, let's say Aunt Susie is really passionate about her Second Amendment rights and she's afraid the crazy liberals are going to take away all her guns. Forget what she said and look at her body language. What is her effort life like? What shaping qualities is she exhibiting? Perhaps she is using directness with increasing pressure and bound flow, but she's also enclosing. Take that or whatever other movement you see and put that in your body. What does that feel like? In my body, that feels afraid and protective. I don't feel protective about my gun rights at all. Not one bit. I don't have a gun, probably never will. But you know what I do feel protective and a little bit fearful about? my reproductive rights. I realize that I am revealing my political leaning here and oh well. But imagine being as fearful about losing your gun rights as you are about losing your reproductive rights or vice versa. Put that in your body. Really put it in your body. Certainly we have all felt afraid. That's how Aunt Susie feels about her Second Amendment rights. What might have happened in her life to make her feel that way? Maybe it's a more complex story than just what channels she tunes into for the evening news. Maybe we don't know the whole story. Then, regardless of what you feel fearful and protective over, you can use it to connect to another person on a physical level. Use your kinesthetic empathy to connect with someone you don't agree with. You could even ask why she feels the way she does about the Second Amendment. Perhaps she'll divulge the whole story and you'll have even more insight. You could say something like, I see you're passionate about this. Can you help me understand why? I'm not saying you need to change your political views, but it's okay to try and understand how someone feels and connect with them. There is a huge divide in the United States right now. And if we're going to get anything done, we're going to have to try and understand how others feel. And the holidays are a great time to do that. Lastly, Take time to recuperate. It is okay to take time to yourself during the holidays. I know that there are a lot of parties to attend, Christmas concerts to rehearse for, people to visit and shopping to do, but it's okay to take time to yourself. A couple of episodes ago, I talked about exertion and recuperation and how important it was in staying balanced physically and mentally. Physically, your body needs to be able to recuperate. If you spend all day on your feet cooking, cleaning, or shopping, at the end of the day, you need to relax. Let someone else do the dishes after Thanksgiving dinner. Let your partner bring home takeout if you've had a rough day at work. If you spent all day looking for the perfect gift for someone, then leave wrapping for another day and sit and watch a show instead. I will confess to you that I actually don't take my own advice on that last one. Um, I have to pick other places to recuperate because I have found that the only way to keep gifts hidden from the prying eyes of five children is to wrap them immediately. Then I have to keep a sneaky little list somewhere so that I don't forget what I purchased, but wrapping right away is perfect for me because then nobody can go sneaking. Anyway, getting back to the body. If you have had a day that was physically taxing, give your body a rest. To stay balanced and recuperate emotionally, embrace the opposite end of the continuum of effort. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you've spent a considerable amount of time focusing, being really direct on a specific task or goal, then when you recuperate from that, you need to let your mind wander a little. 
you need to zone out. On the flip side of that coin, if you have a job where you need to be creative and think flexibly, then if you want to truly recuperate, then you need to find one thing to focus on to relax. Knitting is great for this, um, or coloring, if coloring books are your thing, find something that you can focus on for a period of time. If you have a job where you're implying a lot of increasing pressure, like a FedEx or UPS delivery person, where you do a lot of heavy lifting, then to recuperate, you need to find something where you can use decreasing pressure. The weightlessness of water is really great for this. So if you live in a warm place and can relax in a pool or a hot tub, go for it. Taking a bath is great too, and add in some Epsom salts for your sore muscles and you are good to go. On the other hand, if you tend to spend more time with decreasing pressure during your day, oh man, I have to think of examples for this. Um, I think I think you'd have to be like a ribbon dancer. That's the only thing that's coming to me. And I realize that is not a common profession. Um, oh, well, I'll think on that. But the best thing you can do to recuperate is find something with increasing pressure. Go to the gym and lift some weights. It will help you feel grounded. I realize that none of that was related to any holiday, but holidays can make the rest of life seem really stressful. So take some time to recuperate from life so that you can sail through the holiday season with ease. What I really wanted to say, but got totally distracted, was that it's okay to take a break from being with people. This is the introvert in me talking. Um, If you feel overwhelmed in a social setting, then take a few minutes to yourself. Step outside or go to the bathroom, take a couple of deep breaths, and be present by yourself for a while before you return to a social gathering. Then, at the end of the night, you won't feel completely depleted. Okay, one more thing. I know I already said lastly, but that was a lie. This is the actual last thing that I want to leave you with. And that is to play with proxemics. Be aware of where you are standing in relationship to other people. How close you are to specifically the people you're in conversation with. If you're across the table and feeling like you're not connecting with them the way you want to, what happens if you go sit next to them? Do they lean into you or do they lean away? Does the topic of conversation become more intimate? What about if you lean into someone to tell them something? Do they mirror your lean in motion or do they lean away from you? If there is a group prayer or a moment of silence or thanks, how does the person leading that moment address the larger group of people as opposed to a conversation with just one other person? So many things to try so many things to observe. Above all, as we get into this holiday season, please take care of yourselves. I hope you have family or friends to see this holiday if you want to. And if you want to be alone, that's valid. Don't let anyone tell you it isn't. I hope your holiday season is exactly what you want it to be. Take care, friends. As usual, if you have questions, you can DM me on Instagram. I am at Laurel Foley, or you can email me, laurel at fieldguidetobodylanguage.com. See ya. Thank you.